Drawing the Line. On today's episode, we talk can Beto take your guns? Not, not could, not should he, but can he? More bad economic policies proposed by the left and Jesse Smollett 2.0. New and improved, and this time it is a former NFL player. All that and more on today's episode of Drawing the Line. So it's great to be back, guys. I know I've taken a long kind of hiatus on Thursday, dropped a wonderful, wonderful uh, little discussion with my friend Dutch over at Voice from the Underground, who is incredibly knowledgeable about about all, all things politics and was just an enjoyment to sit down and talk to. One of the first times I actually was able to talk to, uh, talk to someone as competent as he was. So I look forward to more cooperations with him. And go check that out. Go check his podcast out. It's quite good. So hopefully we'll have have some more have some more debates with each other. I think that be I think that be a ton of fun. So let's just jump right into the news cycle. I wasn't able to put this out yesterday. I had some some technical difficulties in which I panicked, and I didn't touch anything. And I had to call the the expert, the all knowing computer expert. Parker to basically switch the audio from my computer speaker to the mics, and so that was kind of embarrassing, but we're back, I'm back, and nothing has changed, and everything's fine, so now now I know, now I know, simple fix, extremely simple, a simple fix, we're doing it right now, so let's get right into it, so last Thursday, Beto basically let the cat out of the bag, after he said that he wasn't going to take your guns that if you had rifles and assault weapons quote-unquote he was going to let you keep those existing ones but not let you buy more but on thursday he says hell yes we're going to take your ar-15 your ak-47 but can he And i think that brings up a really interesting question so can beto actually take ar-15s and ak-47s so it's worth noting how many of these guns are out there. So according to the National Rifle Association, has estimated that there are somewhere between 8.5 million and 15 million assault rifles in the U.S. That's about 2% to 4% of all the estimated guns in the U.S., but it's unclear how many guns will ultimately fall under the assault weapons classification. And that's a really good point because when you hear the term assault rifle, it's super hard to define. Some people say it's a cosmetic thing. Some people quote high capacity magazines but you can have high capacity magazines on pistols sometimes it's stocks rifling trigger housing it could be almost anything so there needs to be a concrete definition of what an assault rifle quote unquote is and i haven't i honestly haven't seen one out yet so i think that's one of the greatest obstacles keep keeping beto because he'd, ha- he'd actually have to define it and i think it's very hard to define so back to can he we we actually, we tried this, right? So we tried this in 1994. The assault weapons were basically banned from being manufactured, but the law did not call for a confiscation of those already in private ownership. And that's basically what Beto said in the very beginning before he let the cat out of the bag with Thursday on the debate stage. And what basically happened was, well, the ban expired in 2004, so we looked at the data, and not much had happened in the way of lowering gun crime to be to be perfectly honest but that's kind of but that's kind of beside beside the point so can beto actually 
take your gun. And this is the this is the main point that I actually wanted to get to. And the answer is well, yes, technically, but it's incredibly difficult. So, it's worth noting a few things. One, if I can make an assumption about anything the Democrats would do and anything that Trump would do, it seems that the executive, and this holds true for the Republicans and the Democrats, seem to just dictate everything through um, to just to executive executive orders, which I think is extremely unhealthy and and just not the way that this country and this government was actually meant to be run. Just nilly willy I think we should do this and therefore it's going to happen. No, there's actual channels of power and if anything, in my opinion, we need to actually strengthen Congress in order so that they can actually go in and check that. I think that's ridiculous that we're now becoming a culture in which we rule through executive order. We're just going to executive order the crap out of things. That the that the president's now going to just become this dictator. I think that's ridiculous. So he would probably try and throw out an executive order, and that would mean automatic backfire. I mean, let's not let's not pretend that the NRA would be out in, in full force, as well as he'd hit the Constitution and Supreme Court precedents. <clears throat> so what I'm talking about when I say Supreme Court precedent, the District of Columbia versus Heller in 2008, the Supreme Court declared that a law preventing handguns in the home was unconstitutional and stated the Second Amendment protects guns that are in common use and prohibits quote-unquote dangerous and unusual weapons. So a lot of people would probably say, oh, well, that was just for handguns. And you're right. You're absolutely right that that was just for handguns. But the precedent also goes on to say guns in common use, which, I mean, let's be honest, 8.5 to 15 million quote-unquote assault rifles in the U.S. are pretty common. It's hard to dispute that that's not commonly in use so what what the law is or what the president basically sets is you can't have tanks and nukes because that's a that's quite a common argument well why can't you have nukes well it's you shouldn't like i'm I'm with you i don't think private citizens should be having nukes and settling arguments over throwing a, a nuclear bomb a suitcase bomb into someone's house yeah that's obviously you shouldn't do that shouldn't be able to have large amounts of c4 and explosives and grenades I think that's a little much. And then a lot of people say, oh, well, well, that's not what the founders intended. I'm like, okay, let's look at the, let's look at the time, right? So 1776, and in that era, we were fighting with, I believe, was it, was it matchlock? Were we at matchlock? Or were we at flintlock? I think we were at flintlock muskets, and the British had about the same thing. I don't think the founders, like, ah, yeah, when the British, when the British, if they invade next, I want to make sure that my citizens have pistols and the British have full rifles. Yes, that is what I'd like. That, that, that is what I meant by the bearing of arms. I meant that the people should have significantly less powerful guns than the government. I, I, I struggle to see how, how the founders believed that. So there's, there's that precedent to essentially deal with. And if he, if he manages to get past that precedent, which will obviously get brought up to the Supreme Court, and we all know the Supreme Court tends to favor favor their precedent and rely heavily on that, even in some of the district courts, there's the Second Amendment. And let's, let's not pretend that that's easy to get past. Actually, 
changing an amendment or adding an amendment is incredibly difficult. So the question, the question that or the statement that I wanted to draw from this is a couple things. Regardless of where you stand on guns, it seems like Beto is not actually going to be able to take your guns. Even even if he could or he should, it'd be super difficult. Because then you have to go through Congress and the Senate, and let's not pretend that there are tons of congressmen that come from red and purple districts that seek re-election and know many of their voters feel very strongly about having gun rights. What's really striking is whenever a gun restriction or legislation comes up in the Senate or well in Congress, the NRA is by far stronger. I've heard even a one to four in the amount of people writing to their congressmen to try and show them how many people disagree. And so if you're a congressman and you're just getting oogles of of letters in favor of gun rights and you only get a couple in favor of gun control, I mean, what are you going to vote? Because you want to get reelected, obviously. So it, it means that there are going to be some huge, huge hurdles for Beto and I think a lot of other Democratic candidates. And I want to go back to a point I made earlier. It, it is quite dangerous that Many of these presidential, and, and Trump, but many of these presidential Democratic candidates are deciding that they're just going to rule through executive order. That they don't actually have a plan that says, I think this, therefore, yes. I mean, that's, that's essentially it. Not even, not even taking into account should they, right? Because it really, it really degrades our constitutional system when we have this, this authoritative, godlike president in which we look down upon or not look down upon, but look up to for moral guidance. That's, he's not there for that, right? There's specific things that the president is there for, and I believe the executive branch has gotten out of control, completely out of control. So Beto would run into some serious obstacles if he did, did this, essentially. And I think the funniest, the funniest little tidbit he throws up is like, oh, yeah, it's a gun buyback. What do you mean a, a gun buyback? What does, that, what does that mean exactly? So... So can I not? Can I can I not buy back? And which is which is really fun because one of the Hodge twins, which they're they're hilarious. I used to I used to listen to them when they were doing just their regular gym and lifting videos, and now they've turned to much more comedians and and political commentary. They said, "Yeah, I'll I'll sell you back my gun for five hundred thousand dollars." And that brings up an interesting point because the government isn't going to offer you that, right? Like, let's be clear what a gun buyback actually is. It's like walking into a McDonald's and saying, you know, I want that Big Mac for $2. And the McDonald's employee is saying to you, well, it's, it's, actually, it's actually $5 or $6. I, I can't sell it to you for 2 And then you pull out a gun and you point it at him and you're like, no, I really think you should sell it to me for 2 And, of course, the McDonald's employee says, well, yeah, sounds sounds like it's two dollars all of a sudden. So let's not pretend that a gun buyback is just—I mean, it's just straight up con- confiscation with, I guess, some money involved. Maybe some there, there, pat you on the back. It's not that bad. Money involved. So that's my little my little soapbox on could could gun control actually actually happen. So maybe we should 
we should realize that this stuff is pretty it's pretty hard to do and i don't think that there's that there's a huge number of americans and states specifically that are ready to vote in favor of a change to the constitution on this level so moving on to a another senator the one and the only bernie sanders of course the unapologetic democratic socialist and there's got to be something said for that like he is Bernie Sanders is Bernie Sanders. I mean, period. He's, I mean, he is, he is the old man on the stage that rambles at the sky occasionally. And that's him. I mean, there's, I give him credit. I mean, he hasn't changed. He truly believes in what he's saying and really hasn't changed. He's not like Warren who basically wrote a book and then goes on the campaign trail and preaches policies that are in direct contradiction with the book she wrote years beforehand. So Bernie Sanders, man, he's true to himself. I'm going to tell you that right now. If there's anything, he is, he is consistent. I will give him full credit, full credit for, being, for being consistent. So Bernie Sanders introduced a $2.5 trillion housing policy on Saturday that would include ending homelessness and limiting rent, in, limiting rent increases across the country by imposing a national rent control center. This is according to the New York Times. So just like any of other Bernie Sanders policies, it's just more money. We're just going to throw more money at the problem, which is really should be a campaign sticker. Bernie Sanders, let's just throw money at it. I mean, that's 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 it. No, you got a problem with education? Money. Got a problem with housing? Money. You're not making enough money? Well, here's more money. You're not actually addressing the issues. You're just throwing money at the problem and hoping it goes away. And it never does. And I love the I love the ending homelessness. You know who else claimed to end homelessness? The Soviet Union. The Soviet Union <laughs> said that they end quote unquote ended homelessness. And let's agree that that's just not true. And we also have decades of history and lessons learned from the war on poverty. And it doesn't matter how hard we tried. I mean, and don't get me wrong, we tried hard. I mean, we tried really hard in the nineties. And 80s to, to end homelessness and with the war on poverty. And guess what? There were still homeless people. And we spent a lot of money. <laughs> we spent a ton of money. So, and what's, and what's so amazing to me is this idea of rent control. And that's what I really wanted to tunnel down on. Because there's not many issues that economists agree on. Like, let's, let's be clear. There's tons of statistics out there, so much information to look through. There's not a lot that economists agree on. So many factors that go into play. But let me tell you, there's one, there's a couple things economists actually do agree on. And one of them is rent control. As in, it's bad. Like, it leads to negative consequences. And we've tried this so many times that it's almost disheartening to me. I'm like, guys... Just, just look at history. Just open a textbook, Google, and you'll realize that this is a bad idea. And it's always a bad idea. So how is he going to pay for this $2.5 trillion? Well, you guessed it. He's just going to tax rich people. So that's, that's great. That's, that's great. Like that's obviously let's just tax the rich people until there's no more rich people. And then we'll tax the middle class and everyone else because it turns out the rich people don't just have – swimming pools of money essentially and they don't just pick hundred dollar bills off of trees there's a limited amount and let's not pretend that 2.5 trillion 
along with the supposed $1.3 trillion a year he's going to spend on universal health care, which is, in my opinion, probably going to be a lot more than that, and many of his other economic policies, and that's just not going to bankrupt the, the upper class. So, like every other plan, tax the rich, spend money. So he says in a quote, My mother's dream was that someday we would move out to our, out of the rent-controlled apartment in Brooklyn and we would own a home of our own. My mother died young and her dream was never fulfilled. But during her life, at least our family was always able to afford a roof over our heads because we were living in a rent-controlled building, which meant that for our family and all the other families in our building, rents were not arbitrarily raised, end quote. Arbitrarily. Yes, the landlord just woke up one day and was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to raise the rent by $1,000. Because in a free market, guess what happens? People would leave because they can't afford that. There's more demand for apartment buildings, and someone else will build an apartment for a cheaper price. But not, not, not for what Bernie Sanders wants to do. And there's totally tons, tons of issues with rent control and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna walk down them I'm just, and if you have any questions just feel free to feel free to message me there are so many things wrong with rent control and it's incredible that we still think it's a good idea it's i mean it's such it's so it's the epitome of good intentions bad consequences we see it all the time so the first thing that rent control does it forces landlords to discriminate i think that's one of the biggest ones because now a Landlord can't look at rent renter A and renter B and say, all right, I want to charge this amount and basically go into kind of a, a bidding war of who's willing to have to charge that amount. And that goes – a lot of factors are in play that the, that the landlord has to determine, like where the apartment building is and central locations and how much – the amenities provide could raise the price. But now, since he can only charge one set amount, he has to find some arbitrary reason for picking one of the renters over the other. I mean, that's not, it's not it's not picking based off money. It's not picking off picking based off if someone can actually afford it or not. It's just picking based off some arbitrary thing the landlord comes up in his mind with. I don't know, maybe he doesn't trust trust renter a for some strange reason i i really have no idea it could be just about anything so i think it obviously forces landlords to discriminate and on to point number two it isn't just poor people who move in it's actually a ton of young people who don't have the income and are living at home because they don't have that income and now they can just move into whatever apartment they want because everything's cheaper. So it's not just poor people moving in. It, it's not. It's, all, it's 100% not. We see it all the time in cities like in cities in California and New York that it's not just poor people that are now moving into apartments. And that goes on, that goes into question or into point number three. There's no real incentive to build anymore, right? So if, if I have an apartment in New York City and the rent is incredibly high and now it's capped, my profit margin has sunk below the floorboards. So why would I build any more apartments? So more people are flooding into New York City, but there's no incentive for me to actually build an apartment. Supply keeps going up, but demand's not going to meet it because why would it? Because now 
landlords can't charge a price that they believe is reasonable based off of their calculations. They, they can't do it. So we get more people entering apartments that are in the city that can't actually afford it, like the youth, and they'll keep out poorer people, and no one will build more apartments. So wh- what is so what happens? That there's more homeless people. There, there's more because now there's not enough apartments. And then then you get into the classic the classic California tactic. Well, yeah, that happens, but we're not going to actually take blame for it. We're going to blame Texas, and then we're going to spend even more money to build apartments. We're just going to keep throwing money at the issue without actually addressing the problem. Yeah, that, that always works. Yeah, that, I think that's s- solid. Good work. Good work, Avenue. And that, that definitely won't backfire like it has for decades. I mean, look at New York City when it started. When, we, when New York City first started rent control, rent prices have gone through the roof. I mean, we both remember, or we at least all remember the guy, the rent is too damn high guy, who had that little catchy jingle on that amazing beard, who just basically was his own political party going around saying the rent's too damn high. And it was. The rent was too damn high because there was such a demand for housing, but there was no actual supply because no landlords actually wanted to build housing. And what actually happens is landlords then go in and invest in commercial units. And they actually go in and invest in condominiums and expensive apartments, right? That can maybe get them a higher salary cap. And let's let's address who it actually benefits. Rent controls actually benefit upper middle class to upper class people. Because now their existing apartment, which was, I don't know, a, a lot of money. I mean, we can we can take the um, we can take a couple mayors who Basically, we're renting their apartment for $450. Like, that's incredible. Like, in Upper Manhattan. I think that was Bill de Blasio did that. I mean, it's it benefits the upper-class people because now their apartments become cheaper. So why would they leave? Right? I mean, anything they should upgrade. I mean, let's be honest. If I was living in a single – if I'm Nate Draken and I'm, sitting, I'm living in a single apartment – in uptown charlotte and my rent is maybe thirteen hundred dollars which is i mean pretty expensive i'm living in south end and then rent control comes in and says all right well now your apartment's actually going to be eight hundred dollars hell why don't i move it into a two-bedroom i don't actually have two people but i'm going to move into a two-bedroom why not it's more space i mean it's the same as my single i mean maybe it's a little bit more expensive but hell (laughs) i was already paying thirteen hundred why not why not just pay thirteen hundred and get an even better place? And that's and that that is what happens. It's not actually poor people moving in to apartments that can facilitate them. It's middle class, upper class people taking up a lot of space because they can now, because prices are cheaper. So why wouldn't they? Like why wouldn't I? If I'm living in South End and now there's another apartment in Uptown. It's like two or three bedroom. But I don't have two or three people living with me, but it's the same price as the one I was paying. Yeah, you're damn right I'm going to go up there. Why wouldn't I? So what, what ends up happening is you have this huge, huge increase of poor people. And you see it all the time. We've done this so many times that it's incredible to me that we keep saying, ah, yeah, you know, if only we spent more money. Then it would work. 
No, it's never happened that way. I mean, we've I talked about this on one of our podcasts about California's housing crisis, and that's what happened. They had rent control. It didn't work. There's now a huge homeless population in areas like San Francisco, huge drug and disease. The bubonic plague is popping up, and the only thing that Gavin Newsom says, ah, it's Texas' fault. Yeah, it's their fault. That's the reason our policies have failed. Not because almost every economist will tell you that this is a bad idea. It's Texas's fault. Yeah, sure. My God. You see, the benefit of actually letting the free market do this is when you have cities, the apartments closer to the city center are going to be more expensive, right? So it's going to force out lower-income people. As landlords see people moving out of the city because it's so expensive, they build cheaper apartments. That's what they do. Because now there's a much bigger supply. They'll build cheaper apartments outside the city. And it's, be- it's better for everyone. Because now the rich people are charged an actual realistic rent. <coughs> and poor people are charged a rent that is also realistic with their income. But not when there's rent control. Because now all those people living in Uptown will just, just stay there. All the people that already had apartments will probably stay there if not upgrade and get more room. And there's no incentivization for landlords to build more apartments in the, in the poor areas for the people who need it. They'll just build commercial units because that's what they've been doing for decades. But hey, don't take my word for it. Just ignore history. That's fine. We'll just have this happen all over again. And then I'll be here in a couple of years citing back to this one podcast saying, I, I told you so, and I'm not a huge I told you so guy. But at this point, yeah. Yeah, I told you so. So, speaking of apartments, we are we are in the middle of a Breaking Bad vape bust. Yes, we all know it. Just because you hit the jewel doesn't make you cool. But according to these guys, it makes you quite wealthy. So, according to the New York Times in Bristol, Wisconsin, police found slim boxes of vaping cartridges labeled with flavors like strawberry, peaches, and cream, and other flavors, and an additional 998,000 empty cartridges and 57 mason jars near nearby contained a substance that resembles dark honey which is thc laced liquid used for vaping a practice that is now at the heart of a major public health scare sweeping the country and this major public health scare is cited back to about 400 people have been hospitalized and six people have died and this is another i told you some moment but i i kind of saw this happening right when vaping first came out, everyone was like, oh, it's safe. It's a safe option for, for uh, it's a safe option against cigarette smoking and the, the cancer-causing devices. Well, it turns out whenever you put something actually pretty foreign that we don't really quite understand into your body, there can be bad consequences. And a lot of people were saying this, and we're like, whoa, and the counter-argument is, oh, well, where's the data? I'm like, well, you have to actually wait. Like, we can't actually acute data won't be there. We have to see chronic. And we're starting to see the chronic data popping up. But this is incredible. So it turns out that Trump administration actually said it's going to ban most <coughs> flavored e-cigarettes and nicotine pods. And what this has basically done is created a black market, just like all drugs basically ever 
Now, that doesn't mean that we should be legalizing these drugs. I am 100% not in favor of legalizing meth and heroin just because we can't stop it all, right? I don't, I don't think that would actually help the issue. I think there's a lot, of, a lot more studies that need to go into vaping, and I'm not entirely sure if I'm with the ban at this point. I obviously see that there are some problems. We're actually unsure as to what, what's causing it, so I'm not, I'm not too quick to jump onto the, onto the ban, the vaping. I know maybe the Chads and Brads are, are extremely sad, and there might be less, less vape clouds at fraternity parties. Darn. God, I'm really going to miss that. So in this investigation and this bust, the key players in the operation authorities said were brothers barely into their 20s, Jacob and Tyler Huffins, who lived in a small town nearby, and both are now in custody and in the county jail. And what's really interesting is a neighbor described a steady stream of young men coming in and out, usually neatly dressed and driving expensive cars, which is really interesting because vaping and these THC kind of alternatives are very much new age. Well, they're expensive. I mean, let's let's not be let's not be ridiculous and say that it's a it's a cheap option. It's definitely the choice smoke and inhalation method of many of the of the upper middle class to upper class college students and teenagers in high school. So I think that's quite that's quite telling. And I'm sure these two brothers were making a killing. And it sounds like we have another Breaking Bad scenario. I mean, God, 98,000 cartridges. And the problem is we you don't even you don't really even ask what is in these products because in Wisconsin it's illegal. These THC weed is illegal. So the THC products are obviously illegal. So kids are just going and buying this stuff and being like, "Oh, well, I guess it Gets me a little bit of a high, so why not? It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's just vaping is now turning into this, having the same practices as crack, meth, heroin, weed, and all these other drugs. So we'll have to keep a close eye on vaping as more studies come out. And moving on from that, I want to talk about the new Hustlers movie. Ooh. So this movie... Starring Constance Wu, Constance Wu and Jennifer Lopez is about a 2014 little crime syndicate of strippers who drugged high-paying attendees and robbed them, essentially. So the film made an estimated $33 million in North America box office this weekend. That was enough to give the film number two spot, but more importantly, the film's raking at the box office, Hustlers exceeded industry expectations and its budget. It was projected to make $25 million, according to the film's studio. The production budget was only $20 million. So that's that's pretty good. I mean, that's, that's pretty good for the movie studio. That's pretty good for the movie itself. And I heard there's some phenomenal acting over by Jennifer Lopez, and I haven't actually seen the movie, but when it comes out, you know I will, and I'm going to, I'm going to have to, have to, have to see it now if I'm talking about it. I mean, let's let's be honest. So what's really interesting is, and I, what I find so kind of comical, is now we have this glorification of this lifestyle, and it's not just of the of the lifestyle; it's 
robbing people. Right? I I'll let I'll let anyone be almost anything. If you if if people want to be strippers, that's totally fine with me. I don't have a problem with that at all. But it's the glorification of robbing people, robbing rich people, right? Like that's that's what we're, that's where we're at. It's like trying to make an equivalent equivalence between Robin Hood and getting drugged. It's like if if you if Robin Hood if Robin Hood went to his local bar, saw the sheriff, and the sheriff just had a lot of money but wasn't really hurting anyone, Robin Hood went up through a roofie in the sheriff's drink and then stole all his money. Like that that is essentially the equivalent. There 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 is no equivalent. It should not be an equivalent. This is not a Robin Hood story. This is this is clearly not. And what's really interesting is I a hundred percent, one hundred percent expect that this movie is gonna vilify these men. Hundred percent. And they and you can see that in kind of the trailer. It says, Oh, well, these these Wall Street men, you know, they they came in and they and they took everybody else's else's money and they did all these terrible things and they got they're basically probably just gonna get blamed for the 2008 housing crisis and all these terrible, terrible things. Ah, these rich people. Oh, Wall Street. Which isn't actually what happened, right? So, in the real story, they actually robbed a cardiologist, a person who performs open-heart surgery and saves people's lives. They tried to rob him for $135,000. So, yeah, not not that glorifying. This really isn't a, a, real, a real Robin Hood story, a modern-day modern Robin Hood. It's really not, right? It's actually some pretty evil people taking advantage of other people because they're jealous. And it's super fitting that Cardi B is in this story. Like, super fitting. Because according to Vox, she said, yeah, I robbed N-words. So that's pretty terrible. And she even goes on to say, to basically imply you, 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 do, you do what you gotta do sometimes. No, no, Cardi B. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't do what you got. You don't do what you got to do. She said, "I made the choices I did at the time because I had very limited options." No, that's called jealousy. Yeah, that's it's called jealousy, and you don't actually get to get excused for that. If I'm sad about where I am socially, economically, I cannot just go down the street and rob someone. Right? That's a crime. And selective outcry over this is the most telling thing because we had we had Bill Cosby who was accused of drugging women 30 years ago and was canceled done absolutely just absolutely just taken off the air his shows were taken out everything right and then we have Cardi B saying this and everyone's like eh, well you know do what you got to do sometimes no 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 <laughs> no you do not do what you got to do doing what you got to do does not involve drugging people, rob, taking them back to a hotel room, and robbing them. And questionably kidnapping. I mean, there could be some questionable kidnapping crimes in this. And what's really funny is a lot of people on the left say, oh, well, you know, where are those men? Where are those men? I don't see any people coming forward. Well, yeah, like, why would they? I mean, come on. Like, why would they? I mean, you really think these guys are going to come forward? Yeah, honey. I, I was, a couple of years ago, I was drugged and robbed by a stripper. And 
you you think you think the the wife's gonna be like, oh well, well gosh, Cardi B, well that's so cool. No, the wife's gonna be like, you were where? You were where with the stripper? You went back to a hotel room. You said that you were going out to play poker with the boys. Yeah, no wonder these guys aren't coming forward because that's I would never admit to that. Oh my god. So I think I think that's absolutely hilarious. Now where are the guys? Yeah, they're not they're not coming out. So my prediction for this movie is that is going it's going to insanely glorify this kind of lifestyle. I don't think it'll show the drugging as much and it's going to vilify these corporate quote unquote terrible Wall Street people, right? Where it wasn't actually terrible Wall Street people, it was like cardiologists, doctors. So people that actually save other people's lives. So they're it's going to they're going to have to vilify them because then it's a weird movie if it isn't like it's actually kind of a pretty terrible movie like it kind of kind of makes you feel really bad for these guys but can't feel that way so we're just going to glorify this kind of behavior real robin hoods real robin hoods if robin hood was basically the the date rape the date rape drug expert of sherwire forest sherwire forest forest sherwood sherwood i don't know why i said sherwire sherwood forest so just to wrap things up According to WSB-TV, a Gwyneth County business owner and former NFL player is facing criminal charges after destroying his business and writing racial slurs on the walls in an attempt to make it look like a burglary, police say. So what basically happened is a store owner, ex-NFL player, he robbed his own store, right, and put, and I quote, racially motivated words, swastikas, and MAGA spray-painted on the walls and other damages, and the maintenance worker came by and saw this so we called the police and the police show up and they see a black truck pull away this is according over to wsb tv they see a black truck pull away and it has no license plate so they're like ah oh, this, this is kind of strange robbery just happened so they go and pull the vehicle over and they find the owner of the business and they see that in the back of his truck are tvs with the drywall anchor still attached meaning that they were ripped out from the wall and they see spray paint kind of all over this guy so they put two and two together and realized that this guy is actually the owner of the business and he had just filed an insurance claim before calling the police so again they make a connection and realize that this guy actually robbed his own store and what's really incredible about this is he not only robbed his own store but he made it political right like that's what he did because he fully expected the left and other people that supported Jesse Smollett in the beginning to come out and say, yeah, he was robbed, America's terrible, a bunch of white supremacists clearly motivated by Donald Trump. Because that fits the narrative, right? To completely overlook the fact that, well, you know, this guy's story isn't really adding up. I'm not sure if if he's actually telling the truth. I'm sure many people are just like, oh, well, you don't believe him, so therefore you're racist. Therefore you're a white supremacist. Therefore you're a Trump supporter and you're... You like swastikas. So, yeah, you have to believe them, which is really sad. It's sad that this is where we've gotten to in our in our politics, that there are people that are not only willing to rob themselves for insurance money, which is kind of incredible, but are willing to make it political to try and cover up their crimes. Because they're not getting more money because a swastika is painted on the wall. Like, if a swastika is painted on the wall, it's not like the insurance company is going to be like, oh, well, here's $5,000 for that swastika. No, like, that's that's not what's going to happen. He's going to get the insurance money from the stuff he robbed. So he had to make it political because he probably believed that he'd get away with it, and that would be an easier way. More people would come to his defense if 
if he made it political because it fits a narrative, right? So just wrapping everything up for today. It's a bit of a shorter episode. Hopefully we'll have some, or we will, not hopefully. We will have some more articles coming out on the Weekly Z, some articles by me and some other of my wonderful writing crew. So hopefully we'll get at least one out tomorrow and some more for the rest of the week. So super excited about that. Remember to follow us wherever you can. I have just got up a Twitter. Um, just got the Facebook page up and rolling. So make sure to give us give us a shout out. Leave us a review on iTunes and keep on listening. That just about wraps this all up for tonight. Tomorrow I'll be here with Parker Ballner, who will offer his expert commentary as always. So super excited about that. So stay tuned and remember to catch up and listen to us tomorrow. Have a great night.